Welcome to Factor Magri, dedicated to New Zealand's primary industry. Each week, I talk with farmers and producers, industry, the science community, and policymakers to hear their stories and expert opinions on matters relevant to both our rural and our urban communities. As we get deeper into January, farmers in many areas can expect to be dry. Currently, the driest areas are at the top and the bottom of the country. Both Northland and Southland are very dry at the moment, and if rain does not fall within the next couple of weeks, then they may enter a period of drought conditions. Drought could extend to other regions also. Dry conditions put immense pressure on farmers, livestock values decrease, feed has to be purchased and delivered on farm at great cost, and livestock generally don't perform either. To any non-farmers listening out there, hot dry conditions that you may be enjoying at the beach generally negatively impact our farmers. Farmers, if you're struggling due to the dry conditions, reach out to your local rural support trust. They are on the end of the phone, willing and able to help. Now this week's episode is the second part of the Sam MacGyver interview. Talking about Beef and Lamb's upcoming road shows on two alternatives to the ETS for farmers. We also talk about sustainability and how the New Zealand red meat sector is positioning itself in the global market. Let's have a listen. I think what's really interesting and how important it is for farmers uh, to engage with these roadshows and get an understanding and engage with what's being asked of them and provide feedback because it's ultimately them, the farmers, who are going to be impacted directly by this. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And and listen, we... we, um we did some initial feedback once we started to, to develop these a bit more uh, into December. Um, and, and, you know, the, the thing that came back time and time again from farmers, and we know this, Angus, but sometimes it's sort of hard to do, is that um, simplicity and clarity. Mm. You know, and, and you're, you're exactly right. Um, in, in all of these, uh, you know, if you want to call it a regulatory change, um, in all of these changes, it is the landowner and the farmer that makes the changes, right? Mm. It, it is it is not me. It is, it is not the government. Um, you know, it's not even society or consumers. It is, it is the farmer that makes the change on the mm. ground. And therefore, our key aim in all of those situations is to be able to to put the, I guess, the, the the knowledge and the motivation in farmers' hands, and then the tools in farmers' hands, and make it as easy as possible for them to to take action. Yep. And then no sledgehammers required from central government. Yeah. Yeah. And and listen, this is um, it's a very very interesting space for somebody like Beef and Lamb New Zealand to be involved in, right? Um, because because I guess you know what what we what we've essentially said to a certain degree here is that as an industry, we'll choose to self-regulate ourselves. That's sort of, this is sort of what we're putting forward with Hewaki Kanaa, right? And, and it's not a place, it's not a place where traditionally uh, a Beef and Land New Zealand or an industry good organisation mm. uh, would have been. But, but actually, when we looked at the ETS, we looked at the risks on it, uh, or, or at it, uh, we looked at the unfairness of it for our sheep and beef farmers, and we looked at the perverse uh, actions that it would drive. We absolutely said, "Listen, we, we need to get together, and we need to lead um, an alternative approach." There's plenty of people out there, plenty of corners that have said, and, and will continue to say, "About bloody time, farmers have had a free run at things, um, and they should be further regulated." Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, and, and listen, I I think. Um, 
you know, some some of that's got to fall at our feet, Angus. And, and I think, um, you know, I have conversations every week with farmers that talk about, listen, not so many farmers have been focused on climate change and emissions, right? But mm. but they've damn well been focused on the environment for the last 20 years. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I have a talk to farmers about, oh, listen, what are, you, what are you thinking about this regulation, about this and that and the other thing? And they go... We've been we've been doing this stuff for fifteen years. Yeah. We started this stuff 20, 20 years ago. You know, mm. we started. Why have we got one point four million hectares on sheep and beef farms? Because mm. yeah. <laughs> sheep and beef farms recognise the or, or treasure um, native bush. They they recognise the value of managing erosion. They they recognise mm. the the value of water quality. Um, and so I've got to say, um, where I think we've fallen down as a sector is that we haven't told our story. Um, well mm. enough, and, and farmers will go. Well, Sam, that's what we employ you <laughs> to do, and and I'll be first to admit um, that I don't think we've done that job um, well enough. It's it's two things. One is telling the story, but the second one, Angus, mm. is actually having the having the the proof and the measurement and the reporting as an industry to back that up. And and I think that's you know that's something that we're really focused on now. Mm. Look, um, I believe farmers are New Zealand's greatest asset. This has, again, been highlighted through COVID. I also think there is a, a slight disconnect between rural and urban communities in many ways. Um, 50 years ago, most people had some kind of connection with the land, either through family or extended family, uh, or a family member was a, was a farmer, or through friends or school field trips, as a couple of examples. My sense is we have lost a bit of that. What do you think? Yeah, listen, I think I think that is a, um, that is a fair observation. Angus and and um, one of the stats that I often use is that um, I think it's New Zealander along New Zealand along with Canada and Australia are three of the most urbanised countries in the world, right? And, and so that's the first thing that we need to recognise. A second uh, stat that I think is is really interesting to think about is um, up until the last couple of years, we had about 60,000 60, immigrants coming into New Zealand a year, right? And, and becoming New Zealand citizens. And as you would well understand, most of them had absolutely no background or understanding of how New Zealand works, and mm. particularly the fact that the primary industry is the backbone of our economy, right? And, mm. and, and that, you know, export export is what uh, creates our wealth um, in New Zealand. Angus, we've, we've done a lot of research, um, which is really around um, trust and reputation and understanding what New Zealanders think. Um, and, and here's here's the, the sort of the key stats that we that we get. Firstly, um, that all New Zealanders recognise the importance of the primary sector um, to New Zealand. They they do know that it plays a crucial part. And I think you know, as you alluded to, to through COVID, it's probably been elevated. But particularly as we lost the tourism sector mm. and we've lost the education sector, mm. um, so they do recognise the importance of um, New Zealanders. Um, they actually quite like farmers. Um, they they have nothing against farmers. They actually quite respect farmers for what they do, but um, they openly admit that they don't know much about farming, right? Mm. Um, and, and they're very open about that. And and then the last thing is that they're, they're very keen to engage with farmers and they're open to understanding more. Mm. And and it's really interesting. We've we've been doing the social license research and. There is a group of 32% of New Zealanders that sit on the edge as to whether they're going to be supporters of our industry 
or whether they're going to be detractors of our industry. And there are three key issues that they have uh, questions about and, and, and what the industry is doing about it. The first is climate change and whether we're doing our bit on climate change. Uh, the second is about water and whether we're doing our bit on water quality. You know, and this is the parameters of can I can I swim in that water and can I collect food in it? Mm. So what we're doing on water. And the third aspect that's really important to them is, is are you guys looking after your animals and is your animal welfare uh, top notch? And and I guess for me, I know from a sheep and beef sector, uh, we're, we're making a great effort. Our farmers are making a great effort on all of those things, right? And, and so and so for us, um, the major challenges is how we can better connect um, urban communities with, with our farmers. And, you know, in, in my mind, that can happen through the likes of catchment groups mm. uh, and, and involving the local community in catchment groups. And, and we've seen that mm. deliver really good results. Um, we're a foundation member in Open Farm New Zealand, mm-hmm. which you know opens up a, a heap of farms every year to, to urban communities to come um, and, and look a farmer in the reds of the eyes and better understand what they do and why they do it. And actually, we know from those sort of things that um, perceptions shift really quickly. I, I think the measurements uh, that we have out of Open Farm New Zealand is that people if people came with a knowledge and a confidence of three, when they visited the farm, they went home with with a with a confidence and a knowledge of nine, right? And 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 really strong support for the farming industry. So so for a lot of us, um, it's actually um, finding mechanisms whereby we can bring our communities, urban communities, and, and farmers together. And, and mm. when we do that, we know that it makes a real difference. Mm. When you look around the world, New Zealand farmers are already at the top of the pile in terms of sustainability. But farm input costs continue to rise for a number of reasons. Land values are only heading in one direction. Policy change appears to be a constant strain that has real costs associated to it. Are our protein products getting the premium they deserve internationally? And ultimately, are farmers getting what they deserve and need at the farm gate? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really um, good question, actually. Um, and we've we've um, we've just done some analysis, and, and actually a number of industry commentators have, have done analysis around, you know, our, our product prices. I mean, if you look at dairy, you look at um, sheep and beef. Um, you know, they've, they've been historically high for probably the last five years in rough terms. I know the venison guys are struggling at the moment. I mm. mean, as as the COVID impacts, but actually pricing is in a really good space. But actually, our cost structures have continued to rise and, and you know, the classic we talk about today, right, is urea, mm, yep. um, have continued to rise and and taking a lot of that margin, taking a lot of that margin out. And so um, in, in my mind, um, yes, we do have a really good uh, product. We do have a really good uh, production system. And actually that is, that is part of, I guess, for us in Beef and Land New Zealand, the whole foundation behind Taste Pure Nature, our origin our industry's origin brand, right? Mm-hmm. Because, because when we did our research um, internationally, Angus and we did it in eight key markets around the world, um, we we'd firstly sat down with farmers and said, what do you think is the story and processes? What is the story you think you want to tell the world? And then actually we went into eight of those markets and we, um, we questioned people about what they knew about New Zealand and what they knew about New Zealand products. Mm. Um, and the guts of it was, is that many times they knew very little about 
um, New Zealand. Let's let's take out the exception of the UK, right? That has that really good historical knowledge of New Zealand. But you know, often people have said, "Well, somewhere near Australia, uh, they've heard about Lord of the Rings." Mm. Um, that was sort of the basis of their knowledge in New Zealand, and, and they damn well certainly didn't know that we had free-range, grass-fed, hormone-free, antibiotic-free meat products, right? Mm. Um, and, and so that was the very foundation of Taste Pure Nature, is that actually taking our story to the world, but actually what we're focused on is a, is a consumer called the conscious foodie, which is somebody who loves their meat, um, but is actually really interested in the story and the provenance um, behind that. And, and if you use uh, California and the US as an example, which is where we've um, started, um, those people love their meat, but there was a real backlash against industrial agriculture, right? Uh, feedlot beef, you know, the alternative proteins mm. uh, movement had grown quite strongly. And so actually they were searching for a product that, um, let's just say they could, they could enjoy and eat guilt-free, right? Mm. Um, and, and so that's very much our focus now is on how can we drive um, the story out of New Zealand, make sure consumers recognise it, and those consumers that are willing to pay more um, actually can, can connect with our companies and our companies' brands to to pay more for those products. And if we look at the Conscious Foodie, about 30 million of them in the US, right? Um, we can feed 24 million people on a good day out of our red meat um, sector. So we're not short of consumers. Mm. It's finding the consumers that our story resonates with and are willing to pay more um, for it. And listen, we've been very strong on the fact that the government, in essence, is creating a higher cost structure for our New Zealand farmers. And we've absolutely said to the government, um, listen, you need to be supporting the industry to capture more value. So whether that's with free trade agreements and, and being absolutely determined to, uh, to find new free trade agreements, to remove non-tariff barriers that are often in the way once you've got a free trade uh, agreement often non-tariff barriers are put in the way and to support the industry um, as we go forward and, and seek to tell our story so you know we've got a we've got a sustainable uh, food and fibers future in front of the government at the moment which is really around how we can uh, put our story I shouldn't say steroids because it doesn't really fit with our story does it but how how we can put our our, our story on steroids in partnership with our with yeah. our processing industry. And, and take what is a window of opportunity, right? So New Zealand's profile internationally has never been stronger. And and actually our competing uh, countries, whether it's the US or Australia or Brazil, um, all of those countries are in, a, are in a compromised position around their production at the moment. Mm. So so we have this window of opportunity. We have a consumer that wants it. And, and really um, we need to grab it with open hands while it exists here. Mm. Fantastic. Look, um Sam, I thank you very, very much for your time today. I know you're busy. I'll let you get on. Uh, it's been great chatting. Thank you, Angus, and thanks for the opportunity. The road shows go right through the month of Feb. And as I mentioned last week, this is a very important time for farmers in this country. So head to the Beef and Lamb or Dairy NZ websites to find out when and where one is rolling through your neck of the woods and get involved. That's all for me this week. Thank you for listening and catch you next time.